Welcome to Buffy Boyfriends. We're boyfriends watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'm Mike. And I'm Sam. We kind of threw you off there with the intro um, <laughs> because everyone's been used to hearing Sam bring us in. You've um, in- you've introduced before. Yeah, here and there, sporadically. Mm-hmm. And we, here we are, laying in bed. Uh, <laughs> Sitting up in bed. <laughs> lying back, uh, ready to discuss another episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer yeah it was it was an episode of buffy the vampire slayer i guess we should if you're jumping into this podcast on Mm. the 16th episode 15th episode we'll give you a basic premise uh one of us has watched buffy the vampire slayer before a big super fan has made it part of their uh part of their life part of their (laughs) lifestyle and one of us has never seen the show before um and it's your duty as listeners to figure out by the end of the podcast which is which we will never reveal no which one is which but the setup and conceit of the show means we won't be spoiling anything past the episode we're on we should really work that into the first five seconds of the intro yeah but we're i mean we're at a minute and no i know i'm just yeah however many i'm just constantly noting myself where i'm like why haven't i come up with a script yet well that would would that make it too stilted formulaic I don't think so. I mean, Who Weekly opens the same way every week in lots of podcasts, you know? Hmm. You're right. The Who Weekly is the very podcast that brought us together. How could they do anything wrong? You're right. <laughs> we could take more lessons from them. True. We should just do a pop culture show. Two a week? I mean, I do two a week. <laughs> I don't know that you... I don't know. I mean, you might be able to handle it, but I don't you're, know. you're unproven. True. I don't know that I have the stamina yet. It's like... You don't just show up on the day of the marathon to run a marathon. You got to train first. True. But you have done two episode weeks. I have. Yeah. Those were long weeks. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So we are here talking season two, episode four, Inca Mummy Girl. Um, the title of which you had known last week and now you finally got to experience it. Yeah. I was dreading it all week. Um, <laughs> the title did not bode well in my mind for what this episode was gonna give us um and like we were talking about uh as we were like post episode pre-recording the the title makes you think this episode is going to be problematic in certain ways but the twist is that it's problematic in completely different ways that you you wouldn't have thought going into it right very interesting I, you know, you know, even having seen the episode before was going in expecting it to be bad in the ways like I just I just expected the monster to be the source of the things that are hard to talk about in this episode. Um, And don't get us wrong. I think there are problematic aspects of the monster of the week. Sure. But I guess my primary bristling in this episode is to do with Xander, obviously, and then literally the cultural appropriation parade at the end of the episode. <laughs> it's it's all of the girlies. It's everybody. Truly, I, I could not believe what I was seeing. <laughs> I forgot how recently... I mean, obviously, people still do this even to this day. And, you know, the cultural 
uh, just come to Jesus with this sort of stuff. It has been in the past less than 10 years, but it was pretty shocking to see them go to that multicultural dance party where everyone sort of dressed up in cultures they don't belong to. Yeah, it was giving very uh, diversity day from the office mm. where they all have to wear like the postcards on yes. their face. And you you're you all know what we're talking about. Actually we made and there was a separate office reference about this episode as well, where Giles is dressed in he just looks like a businessman. Like he doesn't look like he's in his normal librarian outfit. I think it was because he wasn't wearing the sweater over his like shirt and tie, and he was later in the episode, and I think that pulled it together for me because it it was very jarring to see him. Yeah. Cause it because I I feel like it's usually the jack I feel like and he wasn't even wearing a jacket either, which really changed his whole deal. Yeah. He's kind of a whole different person without the jacket and sweater. But yeah, I mean the uncomfortable n- nature of this episode and the problematic topics within I didn't invite anybody to come on to the episode <laughs> because I was just like it doesn't seem like a good I just didn't know who to, I didn't want to be like, hey, do you want to talk about this episode that's probably going to be offensive? <laughs> um, but then I'm like, okay, but isn't that going to be every episode of the show? So, you know, maybe that was bad of me. I mean, I, but I think you have a good rule where you try to get guests for the episodes that relate to the ongoing plot of the show. Um, and the Monster of the Week episodes sort of are more freeform uh in terms of not necessarily needing a guest but yeah i mean i think this is something we've touched on on multiple episodes um over the first two seasons but there there's got to be some sort of criticism out there around the racism of the buffy universe um because i've said it multiple times there are no people of color on this show or if they're there, they are simply used as props to be killed by whatever monster is chasing Buffy and the group. Um, or they are the monster. Or they are the monster, as in as in the case this week. But yeah, just very jarring and uncomfortable to see a bunch of like pretty white teenagers walking around in racist costumes. Yeah, definitely bad. Um, and it's too bad, like... I- it's too bad that Empata died in this episode, and that isn't even her name. She stole that name from the first person, second person she killed. But she seems so likable and like very sympathetic. Yeah, I mean, I think the the story wanted us to sort of be on her side. This girl seemed like she had a very tough life and was sacrificed by her entire community for their god 500 years ago very very much like buffy yeah to every generation a sacrifice is born yes and this is not something that i had ever considered throughout all of my watches of buffy prior to today but when i was looking up stuff for our analysis uh people were like i mean it's pretty clear that she was a slayer in her time like she was a vampire slayer and I was like, I was wondering what your read on that was, because I've never really thought about it in that way. Yeah, um, no, I didn't read it that way. I did. I mean, I guess there are parallels there in terms, like, when Buffy and 
Ampada are getting ready for the dance and they're like going back and forth in Buffy's room about like the Inca princess, the myth of the Inca princess. And she, they, they were saying the, the lines back to each other. Um, but no, I didn't, I didn't get that. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Um, but then I'm kind of like, it's, I feel like it's more that it's just like, it's a parallel idea because then I was thinking about like the bodyguard protector kind of person being sort of like a watcher's council, maybe passed down through the years that they like, there's this like society of people who have to watch over the mummy to make sure that it doesn't come back to life. Maybe. Um, And I, I feel like maybe the, well, lots of parallels between her and Buffy throughout the whole episode I think I think the writers hit us over the head with that like the this girl died and so did Buffy sorry I just oh no I'm yeah I'm just trying to bring it closer to you um this girl died and so did Buffy um and she was running away from her problems and Buffy sort of ran towards them and accepted um, what was going to happen to her, I guess. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm struggling to come up with like a coherent thought. Like, I, I guess I get what they're trying to do. I just, it wasn't that compelling. Mm. I thought I enjoyed it. And I mean, I do feel like it seemed, I mean, it seems like in the myth or what we've heard, like she does go to fight these, like she fought the demons or sacrificed herself to save her people or anything like that eventually and died and then much like Buffy died but then I feel like the larger parallel is that she it's it's I guess Buffy they're relating on the aspect of they have to save their communities or whatever but Buffy is jealous of the fact that she's like this girl who comes into the society into her society of high school and is having this magical experience of like this wonderful like two days or and something like that uh that Buffy is herself unable to have because she has these responsibilities even though Empada had these responsibilities in the past yeah um i don't know i buffy gets to do a lot <laughs> and this i i think we should let empada have two days of fun it seems like She's given enough to her community that she can go hook up with a boy, even if it is Xander, of all people. Yeah. Let her have her normal teenage life. It is too bad that the, like, first teenage boy that she met that she didn't have to eat was Xander. Because she pretty much instantly fell in love with him and then never considered another person. Yeah. I mean, I think her fate is better than what could have been i do a think... life with xander over death yeah i know what i'm picking that's, that's exactly what i was about to say always choose death true and so far the girls have the girlies always choose death because <laughs> we did get a reference to natalie french in this episode true another xander girlie who died wow imagine if those two girls teamed up and another person for your uh spinoff show yeah about the about Jenny and Miss Calendar, do you think Empata could be in that group? Absolutely, she was she was great. Um, yeah, loved Empata. Uh, this episode had a, I mean, a, an alumni team of writers and directors. This is also the last 
episode that these writers wrote and the last episode that this director directed they said get these three out of here who who made the choice for the costuming i hope they this is their last episode too. <laughs> i feel like the writers made the choice for the costume uh and but it, and it was so it was written by matt keen and john and joe Rankmeyer, who previously wrote the pack in in season one okay so i'm seeing a theme here uh they take a non-american yeah. Yeah. non-white culture with you know some degree of mysticism around it and not necessarily mysticism but more like these white guys probably think it's interesting to pick like the inca culture to pull like a monster from because it's right quote-unquote exotic or whatever they think uh and then yeah, I mean, that was the episode that was most, like, clearly ringing in my head the whole time we were, like, leading up to watching this episode. Because I was like, oh, it's going to be, like, some, like, weird, evil thing is going to take over somebody's body. And they're going to wreak havoc in Sunnydale. And then there's going to be something problematic. And then Buffy's going to save the day. And it'll end in an offensive costume. True. Yeah. Oh my god, I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Because that guy was all dressed up. Yeah. Hmm. Um, this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the director of this episode was Ellen S. Pressman, who directed uh, The Puppet Show. Okay. So she is leaving on a low. I I mean the puppet show is great. The puppet show is great, but I but like I do I mean I I think that she did a good job directing this episode. Like I feel like she got good performances out of Empada and Buffy. True. I thought Willow was great too. Willow's great. I feel like Sven had a very fun plot. I like I because like that's sort of like what this whole episode maybe in a fucked up '90s way. Like that that should have been the episode where it's like. They treat these foreign people like they expect them to be stupid or whatever. And then, like, at the... Maybe not... This is actually a bad idea, but I'm saying it maybe for the 90s, it could have been good. It's sort of... That's Buffy's whole thing. Like, it's not actually that uh, feminist, but because it was the 90s, it was, like, this cultural touchstone or whatever. And so I'm saying, like, Sven's storyline is the, like is it like maybe the best one we had of the like cultural appropriationness of the episode yeah where cordelia thinks he's an idiot this entire time doesn't speak any english and then at the end we, it's revealed that he thinks she's an idiot and like can speak english ultimately i'm understanding that it, it's still not good that we would spend an entire episode thinking he's an idiot i agree i'm me 2023 consciously aware of that I think it could have been pushing the envelope for the 90s. Yeah, I get, I, <laughs> I see where you're coming from. And I, I do feel like the whole plot line of the foreign exchange students was kind of underwritten the whole episode. Yeah, um, it's weird that there was only two. Yeah. Well, were there more that we just didn't see? Or is Probably. it really just like Sven and Empata are the only two? I'm sure there were more, but 
it uh, but like i feel like in the past they've been so good about showing us that there are other things happening at the school and in this episode it's just i mean and like the woman who plays impata is really good like the character of impata is good um could have been like a three episode arc even like she was very captivating to me uh so i guess i can understand not going to other uh foreign exchange students but you would think that we would see two more maybe one more Mm -hmm. just to show like this is happening outside of these characters yeah i feel like they could have if they wanted to go the route of like incorporating the like high school plot of the foreign exchange students with the like buffy monster plot it could have been more elegant i guess and maybe that's where i'm coming from it's like i thought season two was kind of on a an upward trajectory with these episodes of like tying all of the plots together but this kind of it it felt kind of disjointed where they introduced an interesting like high school trope concept of the exchange students and then immediately discarded it (laughs) as like we're just using this as like the way to get Empada into Buffy's house and like inter- integrated with her friends. Yeah, and it because it's not even directly connected to the mummy. Like just it, like Empada, the person they were expecting to come, happens to be from the same location that the Inca mummy girl, like the princess, was from. Like, and it's not even like someone is coming from. And this is again, this would be a bad bad offensive plotline but it's not like the plotline is there's a foreign exchange student who has this magical power or whatever it's like just happens it's circumstance and i and i agree it's disjointed and it's weird that it's disjointed because like giles is barely in this episode cordelia is barely in this episode angel is not in this episode and jenny is not in this episode no so principal the principal is principal snyder is also not in it so the only characters are buffy xander and willow really uh and impata and so it's like it's they don't have a whole lot that they can do but it is like it's very i don't know it's, it's too simple and it's not constructed well and it's racist and it's racist just got to get that in there. Of course. Thank you for adding that on. Yeah, I didn't want us to forget. Hopefully we didn't. Um, and then for IMDb Deep Dive, I did check out Araceli, Araceli, who played uh, the princess herself. It's sad we never got a real name for the princess. I know. Because uh, Empata is not her real name. Um, what is she credited as? Empata Gutierrez. Hmm. Which... That is the exchange student. I guess that's the exchange student's name, but that's not her character's name. Or the she's Impata Gutierrez dot the the Inca mummy girl. The Inca mummy girl. But ultimately, she did not do very much in her her career so far. Uh, She did 12 episodes of All My Children. um, And she was in Machete. Uh, and according to the IMDb, IMDb for this episode, her and Nicholas Brendan both ate up to 10 Twinkies each for each take of the scene in which they're eating lunch. That seems like a cruel joke that Joss Whedon was playing that day. <laughs> the writers were like, we have to make Nicholas Brendan eat 30 Twinkies. He's looking a little too cut. <laughs> <laughs> It's unbelievable. He he got like too hot 
in the offseason. Okay, but Buffy, even in this episode, said he looked good. And that came out of nowhere. True. Buffy's wilding. This, yeah, I, I felt like we were past the Buffy Xander stuff. Yeah, and I thought Willow was past Xander as well. Like, I thought we got over that at the end of season one where he like really treated her like shit around the spring fling he did but then at the oh, beginning right. of season then, two they had the whole ice cream thing yeah they had the whole summer to fall back in love yeah okay other. and they had three months where buffy wasn't even there and they almost kissed one time right at the end of the summer girl move faster girl, he you gotta watch him eat those twinkies and get a clue but thankfully, this episode seems to be, you know, weather veining uh, better winds for Willow. Yeah, we got, as you, you pointed out, we got an unresolved love interest, uh, Seth Green, mm-hmm. who is famous from, I know him from being famous and having a famous name. And I know him from Austin Powers, and I know him from having created Robot Chicken, a show which I don't think I've ever seen a single episode of. I couldn't tell you one thing about it, but it, Seth Green is in it? It, it. Well, it's a show, it's like an animated show, primarily using like action figures as the things that they're animating. Mm. Cool. Never seen. Well, he's playing the lead guitarist in Sunnydale High's top student band did you catch the name of the band no did you of course uh (laughs) dingoes ate my baby whoa you know that really makes you think that makes you think that they could have another name someday (laughs) wait and his name is oz oh is that like an australian thing like dingoes because they're from australia oh is that where they're from i guess that's where i go to in my mind when i hear the word dingo i trust you i th- i think that dingoes in my baby is a reference to like a film of some of some film but i don't mm. uh actually know which one i see well good thing we could look it up yes but yeah seth green dingo ate my baby uh it's from a it's part of a it's part of a court case um in australia so whoa i'm not gonna it looks uh quite gruesome so you know knowing that it's based off of a true story makes it uh pretty serious you know yeah um but yeah so he spot i mean we meet him offhandedly and it's a kind of weird extended scene for this new character we have no like exposure to because like we meet him in a scene that follows cordelia talking to his bandmate where like cordelia is flirting with this lead singer of the band and then cordelia leaves with sven and then like the the guy she was talking to then goes to talk to oz for and they have like 20 or 30 seconds of a scene and it's just like i'm i mean i'm sure you and having never seen it before is like why are we seeing this? I was, but I figured maybe they'll be killed by the Inca girl mm. later. Um, we gotta have some bodies. Because um, I feel like this show ha- has introduced these high school characters for, like, giving them one episode to, like, be connected to, like, Cordelia or Buffy tangentially, and then they're killed off by the monster or the vampire. Um, but not this episode. This guy, he's 
playing at the bronze and he sees this beautiful girl in the in the audience and who could it be but willow yeah and they don't even talk in this episode no he's like who's that girl wearing the cute eskimo outfit also questionable yeah i I would say that's probably not where do you fall on the is this i mean i'm certain is she going to race jail I, th- I mean, I'm certain it's not the best costume she could. It's like Willow's... Jew- okay, there was someone dressed up like oh, in yeah. a Hasidic Jewish outfit. And it's like Willow is Jewish. So I feel like that's she could have some sort of cultural... Uh, you know, I don't. I you know, I don't want to say costume. But I, and I, it's like her- some sort of heritage gear. But she didn't. She did not. She chose to wear an Eskimo parka. And Xander claims his costume is like an italian thing no but he looks very offensively dressed up like a mexican person yeah um and you know buffy made the best decision by not (laughs) by staying home and not being in any of the pictures she saw what was happening (laughs) she's like i'm gonna run for office one day (laughs) i'm not going to the blackface dance but despite her problematic choice of wear oz is fascinated yeah i mean how did willow sneak a harpoon into this dance was it real do you think it looks pointy to me like do you think she harpoons in her free time i think she could have used it on the on the princess well she wasn't thinking on <laughs> willow's only thinking at the wrong moments you know like when she's in school or about xander when buffy's trying to talk to her about her problems yeah but yeah i mean this episode is primarily about willow being jealous of xander and xander being in love with empata and buffy thinking about how she relates to what the mummy princess went through yeah and it's not even like an interesting resolution at the end because i guess the mechanics of this mummy girl are that the seal was broken by someone willow knew or someone who beat up xander for every day for five years kind of a legend okay i love that because okay yes the two things we learned about this character were that it well his name is roger and he's braces and we know that xander he bullied xander and beat him up every day for five years and that willow regularly tutors him to this day like she has forgiven him and is like fine with that she knows that xander needs a punch every now yeah. and then. and we also didn't learn what five years that this happened in like is it still happening to the day like <laughs> i don't know when this was occurring but willow doesn't care no she's kind of into it i think um what could have been between her and roger but yeah, the mummy has to, like, Roger broke the seal and so th- released the mummy in the museum before the exchange students even get there. It's like, there's no connection happening <laughs> in the writer's room. Um, and then the mummy has to kiss people to go into their body, or if she likes the body, she keeps it. I guess so like did she switch bodies with anybody no she so like what happened was she like she took his life force and like when she absorbs people's life force they become they look like they've been aged like 5,000 years I gotta and so she flipped them and that's how they like realized that the mummy was out because Willow saw that Roger's body had had braces. braces yeah 
cool. So she really did look this hot back 500 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. She was beauty and she was grace. Yeah. And she was so lovely. The, okay. The, and I talked, we talked about this at the beginning of the episode. You know, I was expecting a lot of offensive stuff and I, but I, I didn't think that Xander was just going to like regularly be doing the like speaking slowly and loudly English and like bad, badly constructed sentences. And it's like everything she says is like (laughs) fluent English. And like, he's just like, oh my God, it was, it's unbearable. It was bad, and I'm also going to call out Giles here um, for light racism as well, because they've, like, broken the seal or whatever, and they're like, oh, none of us are able to read these Inca hieroglyphics. And then they hear about Buffy's exchange student being from South America, which is a continent, not a country, and they're like, well, maybe your exchange student could read these hieroglyphics because they're from the same area. And right. I, I thought that was a little offensive and some reductive thinking. Um, and I mean, I don't know anybody who reads fluent hieroglyph- hieroglyphic right now. Yeah, it just feels like if if Giles was not able to read the ancient hieroglyphics maybe i mean it's strange of him to jump to the conclusion that anyone else could when it's like he's the guy you would go to to read ancient hieroglyphics and i mean they should have figured out that ampada was the incan mummy the second she started translating right she's like fluent in this in, in this in these pictograms well, she only knew one of them she's like i think this means bodyguard she really played it off Really, she should have given them nothing. Right, and she like she thought she was being clever by like mistranslating it, but like, why did you translate any of it? She should she could easily have just been like, no, sorry, I'm 16. I don't, I don't read hieroglyphics. <laughs> sorry, uh, yeah, yeah, yes. Um, and then I I feel like there was a lot of meat left on the table with the bodyguard character also like we didn't learn a single thing about him and then he died and like we like if it just feels like there's so much to learn there and we just skipped over it entirely yeah he showed up or was like watching them from like watching her in buffy's house or something and then followed her to school attacked her in the bathroom please stop doing that men Mm. in general um and then she killed him yeah pretty much he oh and he attacked her when she was flirting on the bleachers but it's just like which was good that was good that he broke that up i agree but just like give him one scene of to give him like it's so i don't know this was i mean i i actually came away from this episode liking it more than i expected to and now as we talk through it more i'm like the parallels between her and Buffy weren't that great. <laughs> well, I think we both came into this episode with very low expectations, yes. and then it ended up being kind of fine. And now that we're talking about it, there's just not a lot there. Yeah, because like I do like the idea of Buffy. I just like Buffy's like jealousy of 
Empata is a normal girl while she's this monster, but like I feel like they didn't even like Buffy didn't even know she was the monster while she was jealous of the normal girl aspect. So like she's really only upset that she's able to experience the normal high school day stuff and not even aware that she is the princess. Like I feel like Buffy and her could have related on the level of her being the princess and sacrifice for her their people, but we found out that she was the monster at the same time as the princess. And so it's just like, it didn't go far enough. Yeah. And I feel like if the writers want to explore the aspect of Buffy's character where she like wishes she could have a normal childhood, a normal life, just be a normal girl. There is an entire school full of her peers that they can sort of parallel her with. Um, and this was a unique opportunity to like have the two supernatural girls connect, and it yeah, it, it just wasn't there. I do like the idea generally of her uh, Buffy the her interacting with like other slayers or other people that fight demons, and I would ask the show to explore that more. And figure out or like compare and contrast how they experience a normal life and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, we got that a little bit between her and the dummy when he, what was his name, Sid, Mm -hmm. sort of talked about his life and how he like knew old Slayers and he had been tracking these demons for years. And it felt like there was like a nice scene between Buffy and the dummy just like sort of sitting in the rafters there like talking about how they're different from everybody else because they this is what they do. Um so I think they should do more of that. And I guess that is what I've appreciated the most about the Buffy Angel scenes is that I think they are both clearly different and can relate on that level. Yes, and I think that I think that this episode would have been better done if the mystery of who the princess was was a mystery to the bodyguard. Like I feel like there needed to be scenes where like the bodyguard was working with Buffy mm. and like Empata was there or something and maybe she knew the bodyguard was her bodyguard but she like he didn't know it was her and like that kind of thing somehow or like I cuz we needed more people to talk we needed to learn more about the princess and what her role was in their society and like buffy conceptualizing that information with impata there like and to hear more about it like we just the bodyguard needed to be more involved i think and it could have been a better done concept for the remake Mm. yes are you gonna rewrite inca mummy girl or is that gonna make it into the rebooted series if somebody who is not me uh and has maybe more of a relation to that culture is in the room and wants to take on the story you know who am i to say no you're the showrunner you can say no sure but i you know send me send me a treatment uh and we'll we'll talk it out or just a show from ampada's point of view that could be slay sort of her slaying 500 years ago in inca civilization before they bury her alive it's kind of like assassin's creed but with a bunch of different slayers throughout history even though we're not we're not 100 because then it's the the thing that was like the most convincing to me 
about whether Empata was a slayer or not was they were talking about her like having super strength. And obviously she could get that just from being a mummy who's alive, but it did seem like she was potentially a slayer. I'm I'm willing to entertain that idea. It's possible. It's possible. What else was going on in this episode? On yeah, I mean that's the issue. Not too much. Um, we have a Joyce sighting. Joyce sighting. She looked great. She was excited for Impata to go to the dance. She wanted Buffy to go to the dance. True. That that was the other issue. There was nothing about Impata having a family. Like we didn't hear anything about her family life at all. No. And back obviously back in the day, but like that was a miss with a Buffy parallel. It was just about her like responsibilities yeah um yeah we like joyce but yeah no jenny um but i i liked i liked seeing impata be like experiencing all the normal stuff that she didn't get when she was a um back in her time plus like maybe she's showing buffy a new appreciation for all that she has where she was like Buffy was like, it's Sunnydale. It's not that big. It's not that great. And Apato was like, no, like this, everything you have is amazing. Like definitely take stock of like what you have and appreciate it. Do you think Buffy is going to carry that with her going forward? I hope so. It seems at the end of the episode, like she was sympathetic to Empata, even though she did try to kill a bunch of people. Some of them deserved it. Xander. Yeah. Xander deserved it. Anyone else? The bodyguard. <gasps> he was trying to help people. He was trying to kill her. He was like, you have to do your duty and stay dead, bitch. <laughs> that could be a good line for the reboot. <laughs> um, yeah, but she was like, you know, killing her would have saved many people. There had to be another solution. Where she gets to live and be a part of the gang and not kill people. Reassembling the seal. Like, can she steal a life force from vampires? If she's a slayer. Hey, anything's possible. Oh yeah, the other thing, I mean, again, not really a lot of meat on this parallel, but, you know, they were sort of doing a Cinderella thing. Where she, like, kept turning back to mummy, but, like, it was sort of like a midnight clock sort of had to life force but like then it's like that's the end of it there's no they weren't really trying to do anything with that it was just sort of like an element yeah and i guess to continue that thread tracking sort of the big fights the choreography the resolutions Mm -hmm. etc she does just kind of like decay at the end it's not a big win for our team in fact she kind of defeats the team she locks giles and buffy in her tomb she knocks willow out or willow's not there anymore she's about to xander's like oh like don't kill like don't kiss willow if you're gonna kiss anyone a give me the kiss of death like you're gonna kiss me and she thinking oh this girl loves me so much like she would never do that and she had no qualms about she had I mean, the issue is that she had a single qualm. She had had to think about it for like a second. And if she hadn't thought about it for a second, she would have still been alive. But I think the important thing is she she said, I am going to kill you. Yeah. 
she got there. Ultimately, she just she did land on our side. If it's between, well, no, she got the best of both worlds. She got to kill Xander and live. Wow, <laughs> and then be part of the team. She's like, I'm actually a slayer. Now that I've seen you in action, I can we can commiserate. I can give you some tips, and you just need to feed me a human every few days. Seems very frequently. Like she. She killed so many people in, like, the two days she was out. Well, just think, she hadn't had any life force for 500 years. So maybe she's thirsty. True. She's, like, still fighting the... Yeah, she just she just did a long run of 500 years in the tomb. She's got to rehydrate, balance everything out, and then she'll be back to normal. Slay. Um... Anything else to say before we move into our little segments? You know, it's sort of it's a monster of the week episode. Yeah, offensive stuff. Um, you know, not it. It was more offensive than many season one monster of the week episodes, but they did they did fix a lot of their mistakes of the season one episodes. They created new mistakes. Like I feel like it was more connected to the emotional heart of the characters that we already know, um, and we it wasn't a mystery of who the monster was, which was my two complaints about the season one episodes. But now it's racist. <laughs> so it's, you know, that's bad. Yeah, they haven't landed on the right formula just yet. Right. Um, okay. Segments, biggest slay. What was the part of the episode that maybe you say slay? Oh, I guess I got to think about that. I didn't think about this during the episode. The biggest slay. I mean, this is kind of cribbing the next the next thing. But every time Cordelia was on screen, mm. she looked incredible <laughs> the entire episode. True. The biggest slay can be a fashion, <laughs> a fashion moment. moment. <laughs> Especially um, in an episode like this. Yeah. There weren't that many slays happening. There were a lot of anti-slay. Mm-hmm. My biggest slay would probably be the implication of Willow getting over Xander or, like, moving on. Where, like, this episode was a lot about, like, whether or not she's going to move on. Where she even had that line where she was like, well, I can either wait for him to have a crush on every single person we know for the next 80 years or I can get over him. And then at the end of the episode, it's, like, implying that there's going to be this romantic tension between her and a different character. So, like, slay, we're finally potentially getting a new person involved in this romantic deal yeah i think that's good that's very important um moving on to the uh forecasted fashion moment yeah cordelia just looked amazing in every scene like we open on her wearing this like very cute printed dress with like prints of just people all over her dress it was very cute um the the costume designers did a lot of crimes this episode, but they made Tordelia look amazing for all their racism. And then her second scene, she had like a, her hair was like looking really snatched, very good. Um, I feel like she had like a red blouse type thing going on. This is the scene where she is talking to her band boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um and we get introduced to Willow's new love interest. She looked great in that scene. Sam, what was your biggest fashion moment? Um, mine? Oh, well, I just feel like Empata looked fierce all the time. Like, she looks so good constantly. <laughs> like, her hair looked incredible. And he, she, even she was just wearing, like, a shirt tucked into high-waisted jeans. And she looked so <laughs> good. Um, 
she looked awesome and then uh well you mentioned buffy's skirt at the end of the episode and again like and you know i i'm just unclear on if what empato was wearing to the racist fashion party was okay for her to wear or not but i like you know purely uh aesthetically i felt like she looked good yeah i think so but i'm willing to repent if somebody tells me not to say that while we're still on fashion just to note because we i think in the last episode we were talking about how the fashion of season two has not been Mm -hmm. as distinctive willow had a very distinctive hat for a good part (laughs) of the episode she had this like blue kind of felted Mm -hmm. not quite bucket bucket hat um and i feel like that is worth note i can't remember if it's the same outfit but she also wore huge white overalls for a big part of the episode (laughs) so they're sort of like channeling all of their little thoughts into willow's outfits yeah um yeah i mean fashion moment can be positive or negative we've always said that true um Moving on to Xander Slander. It'll be hard, but what was the worst Xander moment of the episode? Ugh, it's bad. I mean, do you want to take the the sexism or the racism as yours? Mine is on the racist side. Okay. Well, I I mean, we... (laughs) Where do I even start? Uh, Xander had, like, before we even, we meet, any of the foreign exchange students we we haven't met anybody we don't know who empata is xander has the biggest issue with buffy having a male Mm. exchange student staying at her house um with his like and these are xander words not mine with his like private parts he like it, it was very creepy and xander has exhibited all of this possessiveness before it's just bad and then he gets rewarded by dating this like extremely hot inca (laughs) princess yeah um and she calls him like the love of her life or whatever it's like the first man she's ever spoken to um which you know i get it girl but yeah and then mine just all of the like working in of the spanish in the oh. dialogue is just so awful every single time he's i'm i'm not gonna do it i was, I was about to like i was like i was gonna say like he's like this but I, i'm not gonna say any of the lines if you watched it you know what i'm talking about and if you're only listening to this you get what i'm saying it's just not good no and it's too bad like because i felt like there was a lot of room in the scene where Willow overhears Xander talking to Buffy about how he doesn't view Willow as a crush, just as a like a, a best friend, there's a lot of room in that scene for Xander to have said like really rude and offensive things about Willow, but he didn't. So like they are clearly capable of writing him as like a normal person with sympathy and empathy and sort of just like thoughts and emotions, but they constantly are just feeding him these lines and actions that are the worst things a human can do or say yeah it's bad and i feel like there have been there's been like a little bit of a trend in our xander slander of either like they're not being enough in the enough xander in the episode to really comment on it which is a good thing um or he's just kind of neutral or seems to be 
getting better, but this was a real regression for me. Mm. He was just pretty bad all around. Yeah, I hope he eventually... I hope he's eventually at least moved into neutral. Yeah. I don't really remember if how his just, like, offhandedness is... I don't... I, will, I mean, we'll get there when we get there. Um... Bad episode. I mean, any of this is one of the episodes that was um transcribed or tr- novelized for the Xander Years Volume One. What? <laughs> so you know, maybe maybe there's a lot of scenes in that episode that are from the perspective of the princess. Maybe we, maybe we should oh. read that book. Interesting. <laughs> I also read that this episode was uh novelized in as. Like, in English as a second language book, like, <laughs> it, I don't know, it's like a level two English learner book. Can they pick this one? Yeah, maybe because of the cultural exchange element. I don't know why, I don't know, but... They're like, Americans can be dumb too. <laughs> or they're just like, this is an episode about other people, other language speaking countries coming to America, and now you're learning English, so... There we go, but it's very strange hmm. choice, I would say. Great. Excellent. Um, moving on. She slayed. Who is your favorite character of the episode? Empata. She's amazing. I mean, it's too bad that she is cursed with being a killer because I would love to have seen more of her. Um and yeah, as we've sort of commented on, the act it's not the actress's fault that she is in a problematic episode um she did great and she left me wanting to know more about her i agree and i am pata is mine as well i like and now it's this is coming to me where i'm feel i feel like if in like if this episode had come out maybe like 10 or 15 years later maybe this episode could have been like from her perspective like or like when it's all about Ooh. like she, and maybe we get like a minor scene where she like or buffy and her friends are like touring the museum but then like we see her wake up and like it, we follow her throughout rather than about buffy and maybe that would have been able to provide us more like flashbacks to her old life and maybe a longer scene between her and the bodyguard or several scenes between her and the bodyguard i agree there she had a lot going for her uh well very well acted very sympathetic character sad she died at the end of the episode definitely my favorite of the care of the characters in this episode she looked fierce in literally every scene yes um and like she was paralleling buffy's first days of school like i was there's a scene where buffy is bringing her to like high school and it was reminding me of like cordelia taking buffy around school at the on her first day uh it and i just i feel like we were instructed to really care about this character even though we knew she was killing all these people and i did and i did it worked on me she's she slid she slid um okay oh moving on to our actually i maybe i maybe i was supposed to do this before we did our segments can't remember anyway we have a fanalysis and this this tumblr blog is probably going to become a regular mainstay in our um fanalysis because they post a lot about many episodes of the show and this is the first time i'm using them her insect reflection.tumblr.com true heads know that's a reference to later in the show um and they say 
The other really interesting part of Inkomami Girl that I only appreciated on this watch is the amount of gender stuff going on in it, and the certain amount of transness to that gender, something that Buffy inherently possesses. Empata is introduced as someone expected to be a guy but turns out to be a girl, something that changes the group's reaction to her, which is itself Buffy, Buffy's core cross-gender premise. The old girl you know you expect to die in the alley kills monsters instead. It is her nor- it is her performance of normal girlhood that allows her to pass as a human for a while. The same performance that Buffy is using to hide herself as the Slayer, and her supernatural side is revealed when Buffy discovers the trunks of the real Empada's clothing. In short, it is a performance of conventional femininity that is undercut by a revelation of hidden masculinity. The masculine slash monstrous peeks through this performance of femininity, leading to the climax where Empata reveals herself, reveals her strength, and attempts to kill both Buffy and Willow at various points by kissing them. The reveal of the masculine monstrous leads to direct leads directly to this ultimate transgression of the conventional femininity, a woman attempting sexual advances on another woman. The fact that Empata is ultimately portrayed as a tragic character with a lot of parallels to Buffy herself pushed this lens further into the area of sticky but truly fascinating. I thought that was incredible. Um, just phenomenal analysis, stuff I would never have thought of on my own. Yeah, I think it's great analysis. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts on the queer readings? Yeah, I mean... I guess I I do yeah and I do see it. I do see that there's like queer sub I guess I don't know can you call this subtext I Is think it it's text? subtext I know subtext. I well what's I mean, the I difference sub- between text and subtext subtext is beneath the text not part of the text well, but is read into the text I see um I mean I think that the trans reading is subtext and but then I feel like the girl on girl i guess that, i don't know why i said it that way uh reading where like she did try to kiss them yeah. too which is part of the text but like the queerness inherent in that is like not really part of the text even though it's like physically she is trying to kiss them the writers are like she's trying to kill them but because and that's how she kills people but like the reading is like it's queer got it well yeah it definitely is queer um and excited to look out for more queerness in the future. I thought that the trans trans reading was interesting, and especially if you want to have like trans readings of Buffy. And I feel like we've talked about it in the past, but like I feel like this is a, definitely a big episode if you're looking for that kind of thing, especially with the like boy. I mean, obviously we know it's because she replaced the actual foreign exchange student, but like the like reveal of the masculine clothes in the trunk. like revealing the true history of this other character is interesting in that space i would say yeah i'm i'm with you there i i mean this was made in the 90s um with 90s sensibilities i don't know that the writers oh absolutely not were intentionally adding a you know trans subtext or like a trans plot line to the story but and i would never imply that they were trying to intentionally make people read buffy summers as a trans girl but i do think that there's a lot and i mean this is how all of this happens like writers are writers past a certain era are not intending for 
Kirk and Spock to be read as gay, but like they are because all of their scenes are together and they talk about how close they are all the time and like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then that leads to the future of gay representation in sci-fi stuff, you know? I see. Yes. Not trying to say it's actually there, but it is a reading of the text through the queer lens. I get it. I get it. Um. Anyway, moving on. I feel like that's pretty much everything. And I looked earlier today if we had any five-star reviews, which we did not. But we'll check it out now just in case anything's changed. Um. And then we'll go to plugs and we can all get out of here. Sadly, no new review. It's sort of, mm. it's pretty upsetting. Nothing in our mailbox either. Um, the fans are not reaching out, but we are still reaching out to the fans. Um, and, you know, event. I just feel like eventually it'll get, it'll get so sad. People have heard me sing this old tune over and over again, uh, and they'll feel bad enough for me that they'll write a review. That's always the hope. People feel bad enough that they do what I want. Yeah. Don't we sound really sad? <laughs> Um, but I guess not. Mike, do you have anything you want to plug? Well, we are at Buffy Boyfriends on Twitter, where you can see all of our fashion moments. Um, I'm at Flawless Lawless on Instagram. And I think that's really it. I'm trying to think if there is anything else I want to talk about. But I don't think so. Sam. Um, I'm at Sam Stanish on instagram you can follow my other podcast at bitter Durs pod on instagram and twitter uh we are gearing up for survivor 44 airing on march 1st we are by the time this episode comes out we will have already recorded our cast assessment and perhaps put it out um and i will well i'll wait until that's all set in stone for my further plugging um anyway yeah i think that's about done it for me um thanks for listening everyone bye